There it is. <laughs> they were too caught up watching me move a pulpit. Everybody doing all right? Praise God. Glad to see you all here today, joining us online or here in the sanctuary. And I don't know, we'll, you know, if any of you guys are like expert with like electrical lighting and thing, man, we've got these new lights and I mean, every week it's a new issue. Believe me, we're trying. We put incredible amounts of energy and effort into trying to get it to work seamlessly and flawlessly for you. And it's just a season of humility for us. You know, of, of, of learning and, and trying to get it all figured out. And uh, they'll get up there here in a minute and, and reset that. So you might see some flash or something, and then it'll hopefully settle in here in just a minute. But meanwhile, if you need a Bible, we want to get one in your hands. Uh, so if you need one, don't be shy about uh, letting us know. Just raise your hand. Someone will find you. Put a Bible right there in it. All right. Uh, I, I think someone will find you. Man, where's all our people today? Esther, grab a Bible. And, and bring it up to this young lady right here. Oh, no, never mind, Esther. We got two or three other people getting them now. See? See a need, meet a need. Right up here. Who else needs a Bible? See, you don't need to be, like, officially, like, uh, enlisted in service to just serve. You know, hey, man, hey, that person needs a Bible. I'm going to give them one. Hey, all my, all my uh, guys, man, you guys are embarrassing me today. Mark, why weren't you on it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So is, is uh, Jody up there yet? I'm trying to stall till he can kind of maybe work on those lights right there, but we won't stall. Let's just get into the Word, and then you guys will just uh, pretend like there's nothing going on as they flash and flicker and stuff. Huh? Yeah, first world, first world problems, right? Yeah, that's a bad old deal. It's rough. It's rough, guys. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Corinthians as we journey on into the 8th chapter. We'll look at it today in its entirety in a message that I have entitled, uh, Love Before Liberty. And so with that, let's go ahead and just take our hearts to the Lord and, uh, and, and lift this time up before the Lord. Father, once again, we just say thank you, God, for uh, your grace and your mercy, uh, Lord, and uh, your, your love for us. And we pray, God, today that you would speak to us. God, we pray for just a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. God, that we would have ears to hear. And as Jared was saying earlier, God, that we would just leave here different, having spent time with you. And so we just give you our undivided attention and we say, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, confusion and controversy are the topics of the hour uh, in chapter Seven, Paul dealt with Corinthian confusion, uh, questions concerning marriage, singleness, and serving the Lord. In chapter 8, we begin leaning into Corinthian controversy. There was some tension concerning the topic of eating meat offered to idols. You know, is that something that a Christian could do or, or something that a, a Christian should do? I mean, obviously for you and for me, culturally, this isn't really something that applies to us specifically. However, the principle in play regarding Christian liberty very much does. Uh, you know, for instance, people have questions about Christians in movies or Christians in television or smoking or drinking or dancing. On and on it goes. Things that the Bible may not lay out in black and white. They linger in the gray, right? And so people volley back 
back and forth as to what's the appropriate response of the believer regarding these kinds of things. Well, it's in chapter 8 that Paul outlines the principle that should guide or govern our lives when it comes to questionable things. And at the bottom line is this, the basis for our rationale when it comes to deciding what it is that I will do, what it is that I won't do, in areas in which the Bible does not directly address, should never be knowledge or what I know to be true, it should always be love. Uh, We're to consider the impact and the effect of how our actions might influence or encourage um, or even wound the believers around us. But to kind of set the stage and set the scene for you, things were obviously very different in the ancient Grecian world than they are for us today. You can kind of see it in your mind's eye as the camera opens up and pans over the city of ancient Corinth, and there are pagan temples all around, and, and, and you know, idolatry was, was commonplace, if not prevalent, throughout the cities, and often connected to a temple would be a meat market or even a restaurant of sorts. And maybe you're thinking, well, what in the world does a meat market or a restaurant have to do uh, with a temple? Well, it's like this. Envision multiplied sacrifices taking place in each temple to every god every day. You know, there he is, some pagan, and he brings a lamb or a bull, and he's going to sacrifice it to Zeus. And so the priest would take the sacrifice and, and would offer the sacrifice. And part of it, usually the least desirable parts would be offered on the altar it would be burned you know to whatever quote unquote god that it was being sacrificed to and then the best cuts would be uh, given to the priest and the rest would be returned to the one offering the the animal uh, for his family to feast upon now if you're the priest Once you've sacrificed a couple of animals, I mean, and you've got all the Kansas City strips or tenderloins or, you know, leg of lamb that you could possibly eat, uh, you know, you're kind of like, there you are. You've got your stock for the day, maybe even the week, whatever the case may be. But people are still bringing animals in all day. And so what do you do? Well, you put the overstock, and again, the overstock would generally be the best cuts. I mean, the filet mignons, again, whatever, they, you know, the shoulder, whatever it is. And they, 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 there they are in the temple meat market, and you put them there at a discounted price. Well, people then weren't much different than they are today. Everyone's looking for a discount. Everyone wants a bargain. And so if as a believer, I can go to the mighty Aphrodite discount meat market, you know, and buy grade A stock for less than I can get it at the regular market, well, I mean, is that okay? I mean, some were saying, absolutely, idols aren't anything. I mean, if if there's a discount, they're running a killer special there at the, uh, you know, again, the mighty Aphrodite meat market, uh, go ahead, help yourself. Others were saying, hey, I'm, I'm not sure that it is okay. I mean, it's kind of like uh, supporting idolatry or, or maybe engaging in some way uh, peripherally. And it just, you know, it just doesn't feel right to me. And so they present the question to Paul. And here in chapter 8 and on through chapter 10, he addresses this basic principle of Christian liberty. Are you with me? Let's turn our attention to the very first verse. Now, 
concerning things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. He says, now concerning things offered to idols, Paul is going to get down to the nitty gritty regarding eating the sacrifice that's been offered to an idol. But before he does, he digs beneath the surface, you see, to uncover the underlying issue. And it's really not a matter of what I can or can't do. If you remember right, he tackled this issue back in chapter 6. Maybe you remember these words, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful or beneficial, which is to say, you can do what you want. You are free in Christ. The question to consider is, how is this going to impact my relationship with God? Okay? Will it build me up? Will it tear me down? Will it draw me nearer to the Lord? Will it put some distance between me and the Lord? Will it edify? Will it promote spiritual growth? Will it bring me into some kind of bondage? You see, just because I can do something doesn't mean necessarily that I should do something. I should always be thinking it through, how will this affect or impact my relationship with God. But it's, it's really not a matter of uh, being able to. It's a matter of, of knowledge. This is where we're getting into it. A knowledge which leads to liberty and love which would lead to compassion toward a fellow believer, you see. Think of it like this. When I'm considering a certain course of action... The first question perhaps I should consider is, will this be beneficial or detrimental to my relationship with God? That's the first thing I need to think about. The second thing is, how will this impact or influence others in the body of Christ? Are you following me? So, love toward God and love toward others. You see where this is going The goal of the Christian life really isn't knowledge, though we should never negate or somehow invalidate the study of God's word. Hopefully in a a setting like this, that's a given. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, But the goal isn't knowledge. The goal is always love. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies or builds up. So one puffs up, the other builds up. Uh, And notice that both knowledge and love, they will uh, have an impact, they will uh, influence our lives, but the way that they impact and influence us is vastly different. But they need one another, okay? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. It's the difference between a bubble and a building, right? knowledge in and of itself typically leads to a sense of superiority. You know what I'm saying? There's a prideful tendency that comes with knowledge. Uh, Now, that's not to say that biblical knowledge is a bad thing. 
necessarily, we're certainly not encouraging you to, well, I, I'm just not going to study because I don't want to be prideful. That seems a little counterintuitive. You're kind of going down the line that uh, is never intended contextually. We need to know, we need to understand the word of God. But if knowledge alone is the pursuit of my life, it will more than you know, likely impact me negatively. I'll feel like a know-it-all. You know, I, I, I've got all the answers. I'll be a little more harsh and insensitive toward others. I'll wonder why they're so lazy in their study of the word of God, you know, and they, if they would just study real hard, they could be like me, you see. Now, of course, the, the bitter irony of all of that is, is the fact that a know-it-all attitude is only evidence of ignorance, isn't it? I mean, the person who really knows the truth is all the more aware of how much more there is that he or she doesn't know. Let me put it this way. The next time you're feeling pretty smart, just turn over, write it down, put it in your margin here, write write it down, look it up later. I want you to turn over and have a look at Job chapters 38 and 39. Okay, And I want you to try and take on the over 70 questions that God asked Job and see just how many you can tackle. Okay, Now up to that point, as you're reading through the book of Job, um, he's questioning God, right? But it got to the point, there came a point where God was like, okay, you want to go down this road? And he said, Job, prepare yourself like a man and you are going to answer me. Okay, and so I'm going to question you and you're going to answer me. It's common, isn't it, for you and me? So often we feel like we have the right to question God. But what if God has a few questions for us? Suddenly we realize we're not quite as together in our understanding as we thought we were. Solomon The wisest man outside of Christ who ever lived said this, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. We read in the book of Isaiah, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Or in the New Testament vernacular be of the same mind toward one another do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinion and again you guys it's not that knowledge is irrelevant there is a knowledge that is perhaps more important than any other thing did you see it there in our text It's the knowledge that God has of those who love Him. In other words, having a relationship with God is immeasurably better than knowing all about God. Are you following me? How tragic to make a life goal of knowing all about God and never actually coming to know God personally. To hear those terrifying words, the day you stand before Christ, I never, what's the word? Knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And guys, this is why week after month 
after year that I stand here and I offer the opportunity for people to surrender their lives to Christ personally. Why? Because I'm counting on you guys to bring people or the Lord to move upon the hearts of people to be here so that they can hear the gospel and make a conscious decision for or against Jesus Christ. Okay? Listen, and... and, and I'm not going to be here next week, but I'm encouraging you. Ru- Pastor Russell will be here. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to share the gospel. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to give the opportunity for someone to give their life to Christ because that's what we do. And so I'm encouraging you, bring someone to hear the gospel. Knowing God, being known by God is the most important and pivotal moment in the eternal existence of a person's life. And we should have a heart, a burden for the lost. Think about that. Those people that you work with or live by or see in the gym or whatever the case may be. And we just go about life and we don't think about eternity. But every now and then the question confronts me. But what will you do in the end? You know? And so we should have this heart to see people come to know Jesus Christ or perhaps rather be known by Jesus Christ. And once a person comes to know the Lord or again is known by the Lord, what's the fruit of that encounter? Well, it's love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And knowledge and love temper one another. You understand what I'm saying? The problem here, in other words, it's been said that, that knowledge or truth without love is brutality and love without truth becomes hypocrisy. We just accept everything in the name of love, you see. So they need, they need one, they, they create this balance. The problem here is that the believers in Corinth, the strong believers in Corinth, had knowledge, but it wasn't being balanced by love, okay? So yes, Be students of God's word. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord. But make sure that your love for God has priority. That intimacy with Jesus has the primacy. Are you following me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Verse four, he says, therefore, or because of these things, or in light of what we've just said, Concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know, like we have knowledge, right? He says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, notice lowercase g, whether in heaven, and he'll talk talk about that a little further in chapter 10, but um, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many lowercase g gods and many lords. He says, yet for us there is one God, uppercase, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So from a technical, uh, factual perspective, Paul says, you're right, okay? An idol is 
nothing. And so, you know, there is no other God. And whatever it is that they're worshiping as gods, we know that truthfully there is only one God of whom are all things, and we for him, and he says, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. So the idea here is if you're wondering about the meat, it's not affected, it's not polluted, it's just a piece of meat, and it's prime meat at that. And so therefore, to the Christian who understands that, he says, go ahead, eat it, enjoy it, it's not a problem, okay? I mean, you get the idea, right? I mean, if uh, someone offered a sacrifice to Mercury, it's no big deal. Buy the leftover meat. Mercury isn't a god anyway. There's only one god. And, and guys, that's kind of what I want to zero our sights in for just a minute. That's what I want to highlight here in this little section. There's one god, the Father, of whom are all things. Family, the Bible speaks with resounding clarity uh, on this issue. There is one God. Isaiah chapter 37, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. One God of whom are all things. You understand? That is he is the source. God is the wellspring of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't set a big bang in motion. Uh, evolution is a fallacy. All things, you see, are of God. And again, Isaiah 44, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Now, God knows everything. So he knows there's not one. One God and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Now, don't be confused here. Um, Paul is not distinguishing Jesus from God as though Jesus weren't God. One God, you know, and then one Lord. We've talked about this before. It's more like one God, one Lord, okay? Not one under the other, one beside the other. When he calls him Lord, he uses the Greek word uh, kurios, uh, which speaks of the sovereign master of all the inhabited world, or the sovereign master over all the universe. Now, you cannot be the Lord of hosts, the sovereign over all creation, if you're not God, okay? You can't say of whom are all things or through whom are all things of anyone other than God. Amen. So he's highlighting, what we need to understand here is that Paul is highlighting the source and the agent of creation. Are you following me? God is the creator and all things were created through Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, in reference to Jesus, said it like this. He said, all things were made through him. How many things? How many things? Everything except for him, because he was the first created, right? Is that what it says? It's not what it says. All things. So he has to precede creation, doesn't he? 
That means he's eternal himself. That means he's God, okay? All things were made through him and without him, how many things were made that were made? Come on, surely something. Nothing. Nothing was made that was made without him. Paul reiterated it like this. He said, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is, notice, before all things and in him all things consist. That's pretty categoric, isn't it? It's pretty clear. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, guys, you're going, well, not, I don't understand because um, the Bible's clear that you know, there's, there's only one God, but yet you're talking like God and Jesus, and we, of course we know the Holy Spirit and all. Well, I'm just going to tell you this isn't a study on the triune nature of God, Okay. Um, one God, three persons. And truth be told, you know, there's a couple of things with that. It's like people ask these questions. I'm just going to tell you every illustration, every metaphor breaks down eventually, okay? Well, it's kind of like one egg, but there's a yolk, a white, and a shell. And, yeah, you know, water can be frozen. It can be mist. It can be gas. It can be, you know, or liquid and all. And they and look, that, that, all those things are kind of lame. You know, it's kind of how you do the math, isn't it? Well, one plus one plus one is three, so how do you say there's one? Well, because I say one times one times one, still one. I don't, you listen. Truth be told, chasing those thoughts are going to leave your brain hurting, okay? Um, God never asked me to understand everything he told me. He asked me to believe everything he told me, and I can do that, okay? So idols are nothing. That must mean that buying meat at the temple market must mean nothing. So that's what I'm going to do. I mean, that's kind of how some of the Corinthian Christians were thinking. But there's only one problem with that. Let's look at it in verse 7. However, he says, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol... Until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. The problem, Paul says, is that not everyone is as mature in their knowledge or understanding of spiritual truths, okay? Everyone, I mean, we could sit down and each one of us could have um, a couple of minutes to share what's going on in our walk and relationship. And what we would discover is that every person here is in a little different place in their walk and in their relationship with God. And so, you know, you're enjoying a steak from the temple meat market, and uh, no problem. I mean, it's, the, the idol's not a god. I mean, there's nothing to it. So, I mean, why do you care? But for the less mature believer, they hear about this, you know, Aphrodite avocado burger, right? And uh, how great it is, and everyone's talking about it, and man, you got to try this Aphrodite avocado burger, and uh, so they go ahead, and they try it. I mean, they've heard such great things about it, and immediately their conscience strikes them. Their conscience condemns them, and they're thinking, I can't believe I just gave money to a pagan temple. 
And I ate that burger that was offered to an idol. I mean, it's, like I've, it's almost like I've worshipped an idol or I've somehow connected myself. I've identified with this whole system, you know. And now they feel guilty within themselves and they're angry with everyone who recommended the avocado burger to them. Right? Guys, this is where we get into the gray, okay? Because there are some things that we know, right? There's some things that we know defile a person. They're plainly pointed out for us in Scripture as sin. You know, sexual immorality, adultery, drunkenness, covetousness, stealing, drug abuse, selfish ambitions, outbursts of wrath. I mean, you get the idea. But there are other areas, that, like we mentioned in our introduction, that the Bible doesn't really speak to at all. Smoking, social drinking, uh, movies, TV, dancing. I mean, is there liberty in those areas? I mean, listen, can Christians dance? Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you here at this point. Some can, <laughs> and some can't. Okay? I mean, just keeping it real. I'm of the can't persuasion. Believe me, it would stumble you to see me bust a move. <laughs> oh, you can touch it. I, yeah, I'm of the can't dance kind of guy. But here's the interesting thing about this verse. The person who avoids the pagan meat market, he's the one who the scripture identifies as the weak believer. Now, we would have a tendency to see it the other way. If you think it through rationally, you'd be like, man, they're so spiritual. Look at them. They won't eat that meat. They won't come near that place. Look how sensitive they are to these gray areas and everything. They're just avoiding it all together. Paul says, no, no, no. They're uninformed and immature. They don't know. They, haven't, they don't have the truth settled in their heart. And, and, and they have a, what the Bible terms as a weak conscience. Now, that's their, their conscience isn't weak because it doesn't work. In fact, it overworks, okay? It's operating on inaccurate information. They believe, because we, we understand that what we believe determines how we behave, right? And so they believe there's something to an idol when in fact there's nothing to an idol. You know, it's stone, it's wood, or whatever it's made of. And just because it's been fashioned to look like something doesn't make it something. It's still just stone. It's still just wood or, or whatever. And this is why we need to be students of the word of God so that we can know the truth. We can walk in the freedom with which Christ has made us free. Again, not free to sin, but free from sin, understanding where the lines are and all. But even though it's not sin to eat that burger or to watch that movie or, you know, whatever example you want to use, listen, if your conscience isn't at the place 
where it allows you to do that, then it's best not to do that. Okay? Again, guys, we're talking about gray areas. I just want to continue to reemphasize that. If, you're a, if your conscience is allowing you to, uh, you know, get drunk or use meth or, you know, something like that, um, you know, well, you're sexually immoral and you call yourself a, a believer and, and there's no conviction. Well, listen, I mean, now, now you have what the Bible refers to as a seared conscience, okay? You need to repent and ask God to renew your mind, renew your heart, but with regard to these gray areas, eating meat, offered to idols, you know, specifically, contextually, Paul actually addressed this in the book of Romans, this very issue, when he said, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. And here's the key, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Do you see that? So though the Bible may not specifically identify or classify something as sin, it can become sin to you. Are you with me? It can become sin to you if you don't have the freedom within yourself to partake of whatever that may be. Okay? You know, someone goes to a movie. They invite you, but you just don't feel right about it. Listen, don't let them talk you into it. Just stay home. Just keep growing in grace. If the day comes that you want to go, then go ahead. If not, don't worry about it. But Paul is going to put forth the fact that it's really not appropriate for the mature believer to make it their personal mission to pound their point into you about how it's okay and it's not a problem and all this kind of thing, but rather it's incumbent upon the mature believer to walk in love and compassion toward the less mature or uninformed, okay? Because again, he wrote to the Romans, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't want to major on minors. We don't want to get caught up on peripheral issues. There are more important matters to tend to outside of choosing what to eat or, or whatever the case may be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Now in verse 8, he says, But food does not commend us to God. Now you might want to underline this. And I've underlined a few things along the way. But he says, For neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worse. He's saying that having freedom to eat food or not sensing the freedom to eat food or fill in the blank, whatever our you know, thought is in an area of, of uh, gray, it has no bearing on how spiritual you are. Do you understand that? What he's saying is you're made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, Okay? You don't improve upon that by understanding that an idol is nothing. Well, now you've just ramped up your level of righteousness. You're a little more spiritual now. No. You're either righteous or you're not. You see? You either have faith in Jesus Christ or you don't. You're not better if you eat it, nor are you the worse if you don't. Okay? Put, guys, I want you to put this verse 
Or let me say this. I want you to put the principle behind this verse in your heart. Okay? Because this is the very point that so many Christians stumble upon concerning Christian liberty, whether it's movies or music, the occasional beer, you know, or whatever. The assumption is that one stance is more spiritual than the other. But whatever liberty you enjoy, I want you to see verse 9 because it's a big key. Okay, so let's look at it. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, right, there you are down at Mercury's Bar and Grill, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin, by the way, that's another huge key. Verse 11 is another key. But when you thus sin, and verse 12 is huge as well. Guys, it's a scripture, so it's just all huge, okay? <laughs> but when you sin, when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, oh, guys, you see what's coming? You sin against Christ. Think about that. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, or I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. What's that? For you, for you, believer, love trumps liberty. Are you following me? Allow me to illustrate, okay? Let's just say, for the sake of argument, uh, that you have the liberty to drink alcohol. You're just one of those believers, and, and I, you know, I'm not saying that you don't have the right biblically, but you just, as it pertains to your conviction personally, uh, you're okay with it, and you drink you know, whatever this means responsibly. Okay. The problem is that you don't know of those in the body who have struggled with it radically. Or, or, or the, the fact that there are people among you whom God has delivered from the bondage of alcoholism and, and, and they, they continue to fight it every single day. And so there you are at whatever restaurant you decide to go to and you're sitting there looking through the menu and you know what, some alcoholic beverage sounds nice. And so you order it, the waiter, waitress, you know, brings it out and there it is on your table. But then in walks Joe Christian, ex-alcoholic, right? And he sees you, and you see him, and you all conversate for a minute, and it all seems well. But guys, in his mind, all he can think about is how good that drink looks, right? And so he starts reasoning within himself. Well, if it's okay for them, I mean, it, I mean, it must be okay because, I mean, they've known the Lord a lot longer than me. They're way more mature than me. I look up to them spiritually, and I, maybe I'm just being too legalistic here. And so, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and order one for myself. And inadvertently, you start him or her down this slippery slope, slippery sinful slope that destroys his or her life because you insisted on your liberty. And so the question is, 
Is it worth that to you? Now the answer should be a resounding and emphatic no. Why? Because not only have you sinned against your brother in emboldening him to do something that was sin for him, but in so doing, you've sinned against Christ. Remember what Jesus said? He said, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, the least of these, you did it to me. The least of these, my brethren, right? And so we see this law at work. And this is really the take home, right? Law and liberty, or pardon me, love and liberty, the law of love is what I'm trying to say, is over liberty as it pertains to my, my freedoms, my, uh, those areas of gray. And we see it, guys, at work in the life of Christ, this, this uh, law of love over liberty, at work in the life of Christ as well. Do me a favor quickly, guys. We're almost finished, but don't lose me here. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, okay? It's not too often I ask you to turn or click somewhere else, so, <laughs> so let's do that real quick. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Give me an amen when you get there. Amen. All right, praise God. Some of you are really fast. Matthew chapters, and we're all, guys, just hold, hold the line. And let's look, let me draw your attention here to the 24th verse of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, okay? Now here we go. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received uh, the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter was like, well, yeah, he does. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, there it is, Go to the sea, cast in a hook. Hey, Peter, you like to fish, right? Peter loved to fish. He says, well, do me a favor. Head on down to the sea, a little R&R, enjoy some fish, and throw in a hook. And the first fish that you catch, when you have opened its mouth, you're going to take out the hook. You're going to find a piece of money. Wait, what? That's pretty cool, isn't it? I don't have anything to exposit on that except to say, that's pretty cool. And he says, take it and give it to them for me and for you. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus had the liberty to ignore the temple tax. But he chose to walk in love for the sake of those around him who didn't have that same knowledge. Lest we offend them or stumble them, you see. So as a mature believer... You will make decisions regarding, right, as a mature believer. Here you are, you're growing in grace. You consider yourself to be a mature believer. Okay, that's great. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Then you will make the decisions regarding what you're willing to do and not willing to do, not based upon liberty, but upon love. 
It's not about rights and knowledge. It's about consideration for and consideration of and compassion toward others. Karen, if you want to make your way up for a close, does that make sense to you? Listen, we might think, well, hey, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. You know, we might think, well, hey, that's their problem. You know, I, I, I'm not going to answer to them anyway. I mean, what does it matter if I offend? I mean, you know, in regard to, I mean, who are they? I mean, I'm, I'm going to answer to God. I'm not answering to them, so why should I make my decisions based upon what they think or how they feel or what's happening within them? You know, well, listen, that's true. That's true. You're going to answer to God and God alone. But you know what we're going to answer for? Amongst other things? Uh, the way we considered or treated our brothers and sisters. If we had compassion toward them, consideration for them, Now, guys, we're not talking about bowing to the legalistic pressures of religious elitists. That's a different conversation, okay? Liberty is not pinned down by legality. But liberty will be limited by love. Are you with me? You know, I want to bless. I want to build up my brothers and sisters, not stumble them not tear them down. So consider one another. Let love, not liberty, rule in your heart. And God will be glorified in your life. Yes, liberty is valuable. But love is invaluable. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we ask that you would strengthen us in this understanding in the application that lies therein that we would refuse to insist on our liberties and resolve to walk in love. God, that we would be a, a blessing to the body, to our brothers, to our sisters. And I ask God that you would bless this body of believers. And God, that you would be glorified in our lives. And God, that you would even give us a sensitivity to when we're, when we're walking in liberty versus really just kind of maybe feeding the flesh. And that we would choose to honor you. You know, while our heads are bowed and our, our eyes are closed a little earlier, I was talking to you about the fact that, uh, you know, I stand here week after month after year and give people the opportunity to surrender their lives to Christ. Well, listen, this is that opportunity right here, right now. Maybe you come here today or you showed up here today. And, I mean, you knew a little bit about God or maybe a lot about God. But you don't know God nor are you known by God. Not personally, not intimately, you see. There's no relationship there, not really. Listen, Jesus shed his blood upon the cross to span that gap so that your sin might be forgiven, so that you might be washed clean in the sight of God. 
And that's why I'm encouraging you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What that means is what comes out of our mouth is drawn up. Or what comes out of our heart is drawn through the bucket of the mouth, you know. Our mouth reveals what's happening in our hearts. And so if the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart today, I just want to give you the opportunity to open it and to believe upon Him, to be saved by Him, forgiven and made clean, uh, and have a new life in Him. I don't know, maybe, maybe everybody here today, you know the Lord and love the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, that's great. If not, then let's, let's change that today. Just show me who you are. Just raise your hand, man. It's no, no big deal. Just raise your hand. If I see it, I'll say it. You can put it down. But I just want to pray for you. I want to give you this opportunity to not to think about people who are, you know, in front or behind or around you or what others might think of you. The only, only person you need to think about is what is the Lord Jesus Christ thinking? And does he know you? Don't miss your moment. Anybody at all? Okay. Well, Lord, once again, we just say we love you, we bless you, and we worship you, God. And uh, Lord, we want to worship you beyond, <laughs> um, you know, an hour and a half or whatever on a Sunday morning. We want our lives to be that sweet aroma of worship unto your throne. And so again, Lord, though you've given us great liberty, may love for you and love for others rule in our lives. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? May the Lord bless you all and be with you all. Thank you for joining us today. Again, I know there's all kinds of churches everywhere and you've opted to be here and get in God's word with us. And thank you for that. Uh, pray that it's a blessing for you and edifying to you and that you are fed and uh, built up, not puffed up, but built up in love. And may you grow in the love of God and in the knowledge of his word and speak the truth in love. If you have any need for prayer, we encourage you that uh, as we just kind of come down here and we just uh, avail ourselves to you, that's all. And we just want to uh, pray for you if you have any need. And uh, other than that, man, have a blessed Memorial weekend and trust most of you are off tomorrow maybe. Uh, enjoy that. And uh, let's pray and I'll, I'll let you get to all that. So, uh, Lord, once again, uh, we just pray that your word would, would take root in our hearts, that it would find fertile soil to dig down into. Uh, Lord, that it not be snatched away by the proverbial birds of uh, the air or uh, rendered unfruitful because we're distracted or pursuing things that uh, are, are temporary rather than fixated on the things that uh, are eternal, God. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have blessed us, Lord, and that you are with us. And uh, God, again, we would just pray that our lives would honor and glorify you. Now go before us, we pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Memorial Weekend.